0: This winter, LL Bean wants to help you feel great out there with gear tips and advice for heading outdoors and exploring all the possibilities of the season. When the temperatures are freezing, your extremities are going to feel the cold first and nobody likes numb fingers or frosty toes. One small piece of gear that makes a big difference is glove liners. Put these on and you won't just get a little extra warmth. You can also take your hands out of your mittens without exposing them to the elements. For more tips, easy how-tos, and inspiring stories, visit llbean.com slash guide. Over the course of 150 years, 13 colonies sprang up near the Atlantic coast, establishing a formal British presence in America. In actuality, there were more, as colonies were established, abandoned, and merged into the 13 that survived to be chartered as royal colonies that would persist to the American Revolution. We think of American Revolution as a war between the 13 colonies and the British Empire, and yet other countries and peoples in North American territory came into play. The theater of war extended into the American frontier and the colonists, the British, the French, and the Native Americans all had a stake in the game. Claims and alliances on the frontier caused an ever-shifting political landscape as various parties endeavored to establish dominance. In the early 1700s, France expanded south between the Appalachian Mountains and the Mississippi River from their holdings in Newfoundland and Nova Scotia, then known as Acadia. Following the French and Indian War, the land was ceded to Great Britain in the 1763 Treaty of Paris. Native Americans still populated the region and nascent colonial American pioneers pushed west from Kentucky, despite the prohibition on settling land west of the Appalachian Mountains, as stipulated by the Proclamation of 1763. Britain established a stronghold via a string of forts and outposts. The Native Americans largely aligned with the British and the French, still smarting from the official loss of the region to the British, largely aligned with the colonists. As the American Revolution formalized, the region was firmly established as a territorial melting pot, and the cauldron was about to boil over. I'm Jason Epperson, and this is the America's National Parks Podcast. As Great Britain struggled to retain control of the American colonies, and the colonists assembled their own impressive, albeit often scrappy, armies, British raids on Trans-Appalachia West, from the Appalachian Mountains to the Mississippi, were carried out to establish dominance on the frontier, and to deflect resources there and leave the colony's troops depleted in the primary theater of battle. Not wanting to act solely on the defensive, George Rogers Clark, A 26-year-old commander of the Kentucky Militia petitioned Virginia Governor Patrick Henry to be allowed to take 500 American troops into Kentucky, already annexed to Virginia, to conquer the Northwest for Virginia and increase the footprint of the state and its aspiring country. He proposed to claim the key towns and forts for America on a march to ultimately conquer Fort Detroit. Patrick Henry agreed. The 500 troops never materialized. Instead, Clark found a mere 130 or so men at his disposal. Young, persistent, bold, and innovative, he was undeterred, never considering the possibility of abandoning his plan. Despite floods, starvation, and the constant threat of his scant troops slipping off in the night to scramble for home, Clark and his men accomplished one of the greatest underdog victories by means of deception. After taking the British posts at Kaskaskia and Cahokia along the Mississippi River, they continued northward to Fort Sackville at Vincennes. By this time, a few dozen French joined Clark's brigade, bumping up the numbers to 170. No further American troops ever arrived. Constantly fording the swollen Wabash River during an historic deluge during the midwinter thaw, often up to their necks in the raging water, They continued their stealthy approach. Clark wrote, I resolved to appear as daring as possible that the enemy might conceive by our behavior that we were very numerous. The scant militia of 179 men carried enough flags for an army of 1,000 on the approach to Vincennes. At the surrender, British Lieutenant Governor, Henry Hamilton, commander of Fort Sackville, looked at the handful of bedraggled men comprising clark's forces and asked where is your army clark indicated that the small militia was indeed his entire army bringing hamilton to tears clark wrote all my past sufferings vanished never was a man more happy the 1783 treaty of paris which ended the American Revolution and recognized the United States as an independent country, also ceded the area bounded by the Appalachian Mountains to the east, the Great Lakes to the north, the Ohio River to the south, and the Mississippi to the west, to the newly independent nation. Ultimately, the Northwest Territory became five separate states, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Historian Dale Van Every asserted that Clark was second only to George Washington in enduring effects to the American revolutionary cause and that Clark's successes on the American frontier enabled America's post-war claims to the greater West, despite not making it far enough north to claim Fort Detroit. Paradoxically, the latter part of George Rogers Clark's life was riddled with misfortune as he became personally responsible for the expenses incurred in provisions for his militia, and he was forced to sell off all of his land to pay his debts. His subsequent military campaigns were not wholly successful, and his reputation had tarnished. However, when Thomas Jefferson decided to set forth an exploration of the greater American West, he approached George Rogers Clark to lead the expedition. Clark declined, and Jefferson sent Meriwether Lewis instead along with William Clark, the youngest brother of George Rogers Clark, as the mastermind behind securing the American frontier for the United States. But this is not solely the story of George Rogers Clark in the late 1700s. When a person is memorialized, as George Rogers Clark is, at the George Rogers Clark National Historical Park The ability to captivate the visitors and to draw them into the history preserved there lies in great part with the artists and visionaries creating such a memorial. Without them, the less prominent historical figures like George Rogers Clark, the ones who are not part of our everyday knowledge not taught in school history classes, would surely fade into obscurity. Enter Ezra Winter. You hear that? The sound of a crackling fire. But this isn't just any old campfire. This is a smokeless solo stove fire pit. How can you tell? Well, you don't hear any coughing, hand wafting, or people complaining about smoke in their eyes. All you can hear are logs turning to coals as the night sky becomes a cosmic canvas. With bonfire by solo stove, you get a fire pit that's portable, burns smoke off before it ever leaves the pit and is backed by a lifetime warranty. Use promo code PARKS20OFF to get $20 off your next purchase of 200 or more at solostove.com. That's code PARKS20OFF. The memorial at George Rogers Clark National Historical Park rises above the Wabash River, Replete with granite wainscoting and dork columns, it is spectacular in location, architecture, and artwork. Covering the majority of the wall space inside the rotunda, seven Ezra Winter murals entice the visitor to linger, to study the paintings, to learn the George Rogers Clark story behind each episode. Each panel is an entire story unto itself. Kentucky, entering the Great Valley depicts Clark leading settlers into the Kentucky Valley and men mounted on horseback and the Kentucky countryside green verdant pastoral. The breathtaking beauty of the painting epitomizes the lush wilderness that drew settlers to the land west of the mountains with no regard for the mandates against such settlement. Perhaps no words can convey the appeal of this quiet rebellion as deeply as winter's rendering. Indeed, Each panel, 28 feet high and 16 feet wide, provides a bite-sized nugget of the saga that can be viewed as a piece of history or a piece of art. The memorial committee agreed that the murals changed, quote, entirely the atmosphere of the memorial, transforming the coldness of the marble and stone to a soft richness of beautiful blended colors. The story unfurls clockwise around the rotunda in each successive mural, It allows for the story to be digested in seven separate episodes, a story within a story. The whole seamless story of the taking of the American frontier isn't necessary. Each tidbit, the visceral reaction to the theme of each painting, cements an additional piece of the puzzle. The American forayed into the frontier, not just to explore, but to settle, disregarding the proclamations that the colonists could not settle west of the Appalachian Mountains. Clark negotiated with tribal leaders to persuade the Native Americans to renounce their support of the British and switch their alliance, embracing the white belt of peace over the red belt of war. The emotional painting of Clark's men marching through the flooded Wabash River in the desolation of the winter landscape underscores the determination of the campaign to mount their attack before the arrival of Spring and Hamilton's reinforcements. The British flag flies one last time over Fort Sackville during the bombardment. Hamilton surrenders Fort Sackville to Clark. The Northwest Territory enters the United States on equal footing with the 13 original states, paving the way for the means by which any subsequent states would be granted authority and standing, the Northwest Ordinance. It guaranteed the right of freedom of religion, trial by jury, protection of property, sanctity of contracts, and free public education, years before the penning of the Constitution and Bill of Rights. The inroads gained by George Rogers Clark paved the way for the expedition toward the Pacific Ocean and the acquisition of the land far west of the original Northwest Territory. The artistry of Ezra Winter breaks down the complicated history of the role of the American frontier in the Revolutionary War and its subsequent part in securing the vast land that we've come to know as the United States of America. The ability of artwork to bring such a long and arduous story to life in a mere seven images is a wondrous feat. It was part artistic genius and part business negotiation. A commissioned work isn't solely the responsibility of the artist, of course. Ezra Winter produced initial sketches, three per panel, from which the committee decided the one to pursue. They provided feedback on what they expected the finished work to convey. The Fort Sackville panel, for example, needed to bring out the hardships of the march, the exhaustion of the men, and the desperate situation. Like George Rogers Clark, the latter part of Ezra Winter's life was not the glory he envisioned. A prolific and acclaimed artist, he continued to receive many commissions and appointments. However, during the creation of one of his large murals, he accidentally stepped backwards while standing on a steep scaffold, and he plummeted to the ground. His injuries left him with an unsteady hand, and he was no longer able to paint. He died by suicide at age sixty-three. The story of George Rogers Clark's stunning military victories in the Northwest Frontier is a richly detailed campaign of hardship and brilliance that cannot be fully captured in a short podcast. The National Park Service provides the full story in its book George Rogers Clark and the Winning of the Old Northwest. I'll put a link in the description. The installation of the rotunda murals is a story unto itself. The murals weren't painted directly onto the walls of the memorial They were painted on linen canvas in Winter's studio, then rolled up and transported to the site. Each pane of the rotunda was prepped with a layer of paint consisting of white lead combined with varnish. The panels were unrolled onto the surface, then sealed with another coat of varnish. Small updates to the murals continued to be made during the installation. Ezra Winter's murals can be found in iconic locations across the country. Some of the most notable include Fountain of Youth at Radio City Music Hall in New York, a six-story mural in the Guardian Building in Detroit, and Thomas Jefferson and the Canterbury Tales murals at the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C. George Rogers Clark National Historical Park is located in Vincennes, Indiana, formerly the capital of the Indiana Territory. The park has a small visitor center with a film on George Rogers Clark and his military campaign during the American Revolution. Occasionally, Costumed living history programs about life on the American frontier are presented at the park. There are short walking trails with wayside exhibits, a scenic view of the Wabash River, and the Lincoln Memorial Bridge that spans it. Fishing is permitted as long as you follow the specified park regulations. A trip to George Rogers Clark National Historical Park can easily be paired with the Lincoln Boyhood National Memorial in Lincoln City, Indiana. This episode of America's National Parks was written by Lauren Eisenberg Davis and I'm your host Jason Epperson. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a rating and a review. If you're new here, make sure to subscribe to the podcast to get new episodes delivered to your feed. If you're looking for photos and tips about visiting national parks, check out our America's National Parks Facebook group. And if you're interested in RV travel, we hope you'll also check out our RV Miles podcast and YouTube channel. Today's show was sponsored by L.L. Bean. Follow the hashtag BeAnOutsider and visit llbean.com to find great gear for exploring the national parks. And by Solo Stove. Use promo code PARKS20OFF to get $20 off your next purchase of $200 or more at solostove.com.